Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our podcast offers friendly conversations with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by Learn Behavioral and the Learn Provider Network. Now here's your host, Richie Plush. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of All Autism Talk, a podcast brought to you by the Learn Behavioral Network, a leading provider in ABA services across the country. I'm your host, Richie Plush, and I'm excited for us to get into this week's conversation. Uh, Recently, I sat down with Dr. Matt O'Brien and Dr. Kelly Schultz, and we talked a lot about telehealth, and it was a much deeper dive than we have done historically, and it was a much deeper dive into the research and the value of telehealth. And uh, they really shared a lot of their insight and what they've learned in all of their research practices about uh, the safety that they're bringing to families, finding the right therapist for the right family or the right uh, behavior technician for the right family, and really how they emphasize that uh, so many people can benefit from telehealth as long as we're being thoughtful and intentional of setting things up the right way. So I hope you enjoy the conversation and learn, and learn a lot from it. Dr. Matt O'Brien is a clinical assistant professor of pediatrics at University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital. He currently serves as the director of biobehavioral services and director of research and psychology for the Iowa LEND program, where he is conducting research related to functional analysis of severe and challenging behaviors for individuals with autism and other developmental disabilities. Dr. Kelly Schultz is assistant professor of pediatrics at the University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital. For over 15 years, she has worked in a variety of outpatient clinics and is currently wrapping up a multi-site NIH-funded telehealth research grant centered on coaching parents via telehealth to conduct behavior analytic assessments and treatments for children with autism who engaged in severe challenging behaviors. Thank you so much, Matt and Kelly, for joining us today. It's great to have you on our podcast. Thank oh, thanks you for, for having us be here. So you guys have been doing research uh, for many years on the benefits of telehealth and the benefits of delivering uh, behavior analytic services via telehealth. Can you share with us what some of those benefits are? Well, you know, one of the biggest benefits coming from a large rural state like Iowa is the ability to um, access patients or clients all over the state. Uh, we, we oftentimes see patients in our clinics who have traveled, uh, you know, four uh, hours or sometimes longer just to just to see us. And in this case, uh, with telehealth, we're able to reach them instantaneously. We've uh, found that not only does it decrease the travel and the time to travel, but the cost associated with that. And and, and we've had a few studies published that uh, that bear that out that the costs are, are significantly reduced just by being able to to connect with people through telecommunication. Um, you know, another thing that that we've seen. Um, in terms of a benefit is, is we, the ability to kind of generalize our treatments is, is enhanced or improved by being able to work with the families within their home. So the model that we're working with right now is a clinic-to-home model. So we're in a clinic setting or a telehealth lab, which we have at, at the University of Iowa, and we're connecting with the family in their home. And so that allows us to uh, be able to, to work with a patient or the client in their home with a parent and then when, it, when, when we're not in that training context, uh, those same kind of cues and stimuli that are in that home environment are still there when we're gone, and we, we in many cases, see um, those cues and stimuli kind of exert control, and, and, and the kids, you know, continue to do well. Um, we actually have a, a paper that uh, we're hoping to submit soon that will demonstrate those improvements, both in targeted behaviors within a, 
uh, a home environment, the, the behaviors that we're targeting within our treatment, but also behaviors that um, uh, maybe we didn't target in treatment as well as behaviors we target in treatment, but in, um, when we're not in a treatment context. So, for example, the child is going to bed at night and we've been working on compliance training. Maybe the child's a little more compliant with the parents than they would have been had we not run those types of treatments within the home. That's that's so important. I mean, you know, just thinking about what you're describing, you know, so many of our programs we bring a we bring a, a client to a clinic and we work on things in the clinic and then we send them home in an area where they haven't necessarily practiced those skills with people that they haven't necessarily practiced them with and now all of a sudden it's oh well we're seeing all these great behaviors and all this great progress in the clinic but maybe not at home. So this is a great way for you guys to be in home uh, virtually but accessing families all across the state without that travel time. Absolutely. And, I, you know, and I would say, um, you know, historically, we've always done that. So we've always, we've gone into the home um, physically. So we've traveled the distance to get to them, which, you know, limited our travel to, you know, who we could reach within a day. Um, but that has always been our interest is to provide these services, these assessment treatment procedures, working directly with parents and families of these kids um, who show challenging behavior. Um, And, you know, so we've had projects for a really long time where we've done that in the home and it just has progressively, um, it's progressively just shifted over the years, you know, to where Mm -hmm. now we've shifted to this telehealth model because like Matt said, we can um, access more families um, and so we can do the good work that we do um, and be able to help as many families as possible um, in a much more efficient and much more cost-effective way. So it's been a really nice um, progression, I think, as technology has changed over the years um, to be able to now do it in a much better way than maybe 20 years ago because um, the technology has improved so much um, so, yeah, it's been a really great thing to continue to see uh, the con- the same outcomes that we saw when we would physically mm-hmm. go into the homes of the families um, has been really rewarding, I think, for all of us. That's great. It's nice that, you know, now we can use our phones and laptops to connect versus I, I remember trying to do a telehealth session with a family I was working with. Uh, this was about 10 or 15 years ago, and we had a big clunky camera that really was very (laughs) pixelated and it showed up on the tv and it was it was just a it was a mess so it's nice that technology has been able (laughs) to keep up with or catch up i guess with the work that you've been doing even when we were in the home i mean we used to carry those big old camcorders (laughs) i mean i can remember (laughs) taking all this equipment with me out to the car right a big tripod this big i mean like a huge camera that had the old vhs tape in it you know, and to set all that up in the home and now, right, it's so simple. You can, you know, if you have a phone, you have a tablet, you have a laptop or something with a camera on it and you have Wi-Fi access, you know, we can connect really easily for the most part in most locations. So, yeah, the technology is amazingly different. <laughs> right. I feel like all of us are really um... – what's the term drinking from a fire hose so to speak with the with the with telehealth right now because you know for a long time it you know for many of the families that are getting services it's been in home or in clinic and now just with the the way you know COVID-19 has impacted all of us we're kind of catching up at lightning speed 
Um, but Matt, what are some of the challenges that you guys have come across in delivering those behavior analytic services via telehealth? Yeah, well, you know, the, the challenges start with the technology. Um, as Kelly said, you know, things have changed a lot over the last 20 years. I mean, at the University of Iowa, they've been, and I say they because I wasn't around at this point, but the research on, on ABA and in, in telehealth has been, uh, has spans 25 years almost. Um, and I think early on those, the ability to connect with the family with, you know, with the kind of technology that was available then was, was weak. Today it's pretty strong, but we still, we still do see families who have poor internet connectivity. Maybe their internet isn't strong enough or powerful enough. And occasionally the equipment isn't right. Um, we know that the vast majority, um, you know, probably a well over 90% uh, of, of, uh, adults in, in the state of Iowa have a smartphone. Well, that allows us to connect with them, but there's still going to be hiccups. We still know that technology can be a challenge. Sometimes we can't always hear, hear what's being said. Sometimes we can't always see exactly what we want to see. Um, we also have a, a, a lot of questions and concerns around um, who the right patients are to see via telehealth. You know, we've, we've uh, Kelly and I have been part of some research projects where we've worked with a lot of young kids with autism doing um, uh, you know, reduction strategies for severe and challenging behavior, what we don't really know about is um, who are the optimal patients for this? Can we do this same thing with, with you know, older adolescents, with, with young adults? Um, we also don't know who the best therapists are for this. We, we, we sometimes run into challenges with the ability to kind of verbally coach or direct a parent, and, and oftentimes we're working through the parent. And there are some therapists who probably spend a lot more of their time modeling um, physically showing the family or the parent how to do these things, and that's not that's not always easy to do via telehealth. Um, you know, one of the biggest challenges I find in doing telehealth is the the lack of uh, environmental control we have. So not only do, do mm. these families have pets who are there during our sessions, sometimes mm. it's other family members. Sometimes there's there's access to things that you don't want the child to have, have access to. In my in my um, clinics at the university, I can tightly control that. I can keep a child away from uh, the knife drawer. I can keep child away from, from glass items. You can't always do that within the home environment. So this clinic to home model does have some of those challenges. Uh, there's also the, the idea that, you know, we're peeking into someone's private life to some degree. And, and sometimes you see things you don't really want to see, or maybe, maybe you shouldn't see. Um, and, and I think that those are things that we always have to keep in mind because we are literally um, seeing their, their natural environment, their home, their, their, their private life. You know, I also think another limitation we don't really know of is which families um, are going to prefer this type of service. Um, you know, that's, you know, you talked about drinking out of the fire hose, and hey, Matt and I have been doing this research a long time, but clinically, you know, we have not really been allowed within our organization up until this point to do these telehealth services as a fee-for-service. And so Matt and I even are now scrambling to gather as much data as possible to inform, like, which types of families or what are the variables that are impacting who can access this service or who even wants to access this service and how often might somebody want this type of service. Um, you know, and I think that that's interesting, and I think during this period of time where we're in this health crisis, I think our answers to that are going to be very different than maybe what they would have been several months ago and maybe what they will be, you know, a year from now. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with a colleague recently and 
she had switched everybody over to telehealth. And now that she's going back to some in-person, she's like, only about 32% of my patients want to stay telehealth. They all want to come back in person. She's like, honestly, I think it has to do more with they want out of their house. Um, and this is one way to get out of their house and get to see somebody in person. And I was like, I think you're probably right, but I don't know what that's going to look like a year from now, right? Are those same families going to be like if we're back to a somewhat of a more normal situation, are they going to think, oh, I want that telehealth service. That was really cool because now I didn't have to drive an hour to get to the clinic. Um, so I think, yeah, there's a lot of um, – Limitations, I think those, some of those limitations are also kind of benefits. You know, Matt said, I can't keep the kid out of the knife drawer. Um, you know, and that is true, but also when we're doing our telehealth service, we can see what's going on unless they run out of the room and then we can't. We don't know what's going on right. behind those big walls. But if we're set up in the living room and the kitchen's right behind mom's shoulder and mom is ignoring the kiddo, right, and her bath is to him, we can say, hey, by the way, he just climbed up on that stove, you know, can you go get him, <laughs> which has happened, right. um, <laughs> you know, or, oh, he just grabbed an onion out of the refrigerator, are you okay if he eats that onion, <laughs> um, which has also <laughs> happened, um, you know, and so there's, there's some of those things that our limitations can also still be benefits um, for how we use telehealth um, with our families. Right. And I, you know, to your point, I think it's going to be very interesting as we sort of get back to a new normal. Um, You know, you mentioned a certain percent of families may want to go back to, you know, home services or clinic services or whatever they were getting before. But I imagine there are going to be families that end up on wait lists or they end up where they can't access services because they are in those more rural areas. And so it's going to be interesting for those for those families to see if they are opting for telehealth in lieu of Mm-hmm. In some ways, nothing, right? I mean, there are some families that may be getting nothing. Absolutely. Or yeah, even those think, families okay. who have more medically fragile children, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're mm-hmm. probably going to want to keep their kids more safe than maybe they were doing before um, just because there's so many more unknowns. Um, and so then maybe for them, telehealth is the best option. Yeah, and, and Kelly, just to kind of add to that, you know, telehealth does improve access for those who typically are left out due to the travel and transportation uh, challenges. So, so those in rural Iowa that, that typically would not come to our clinic because it takes, you know, three hours each way to do it, it, it it's going to give them the option. But one of the things that I always try to mention when we, we talk about telehealth is it doesn't necessarily mean more people are going to get services because what's going to happen is you're going to replace some of those people who already have access to our services because they're closer by, um, you're, you're going to maybe substitute some of those uh, for those who are a little bit further out and can now access our, access our services. In other words, we still have limited clinicians available. We still have limited right. services for those with autism. And so I, I think telehealth can really broaden our, our reach, but it still doesn't answer you know, some of the challenges of being able to service all families. I, I, I really do think that. Right. Right. It's a it's a part of the solution, but it's not the whole solution. Right. We still need to have, you know, ongoing education programs that are bringing out quality clinicians. We need to have, you know, colleges and graduate programs that are preparing people for what a job in the field looks like. As a, you know, it's it's not just it's not just telehealth, is what you're saying. Is that right, Matt? Um, 
Absolutely, yeah. and I think some of those um, graduate training programs or the continuing education programs, I think at this point are going to have to incorporate um, training on telehealth. I think it's a different skill, um, and I think Matt would agree with me that all of us as therapists, we enjoy telehealth. Um, I don't know think I would want to do have telehealth appointments all day, every day, um, right. <laughs> but it is, it's a different skill to have to rely completely on your verbal language. Um, there's very little opportunities to be able to model or it just makes it so much more difficult. How do you demonstrate how to do a procedure? Um, and so you are constantly relying on how good is your descriptions of what you need somebody to do and how good on the other end, how good is their understanding of that? And so I think we're going to have to teach our upcoming providers and professionals, like, how do you do this? And what does telehealth etiquette look like? Because, again, we are entering the home. And so and mm-hmm. now a lot of us are doing home-to-home telehealth. So then you add a whole nother layer to that about, like, so me as the provider, I have to make sure that the families know that my own children or my spouse is not in the room with me, right, and that they're safe with whatever they're going to tell me or whatever that's going to happen. Um, you know, I have to make sure I don't have, like, random or really crazy things on my wall. Um, okay. You know, and so I think there's a whole etiquette around to telehealth that we don't really think about, especially if we're in a clinic you know, we're maybe just in an office, but even in our personal offices, you know, we do have to think about, okay, what is in the background? You know, (laughs) hopefully I don't have a swear word written on that whiteboard behind me. (laughs) You know, hopefully I've got like some inspirational (laughs) quote back there. Um, But, you know, I think there's going to have to be training to make sure our providers are competent, not only in the skills of the procedures that we do on a day-to-day basis, but in the skills of how do you do that effectively um, through technology. And, you know, that brings up a really great point. I mean, you mentioned you need the right kind of therapist, right, the right personality, the right person to be able to do this. Um, This is, you know, in some ways it's very different than what we would learn in a grad school program. So, you know, it's not I can't if if I'm accessing a family and supporting them via telehealth, I can't just jump in and model. Um, you, mm-hmm. you know, I have to be able to explain it. So, do you have a specific training that you provide for for this for your staff, or is there a a specific protocol that they need to to meet in order to provide these services? Well, we don't have a specific training protocol, but what we do is we use um, we use fading procedures. So. Uh, you know, Kelly and I have had a lot of graduate students we've worked with, and, and we would not put the graduate student on the telehealth uh, driver's seat to start with. What we're going to do is we're going to let that graduate student or that trainee, um, we're going to let them observe us. We're going to let them shadow us for a little while. Then we're going to let them join in after a while, and then after a while maybe they're leading and we're just supporting them, and then we're going to fade ourselves out. But but as Kelly said, there is a whole different level of skills here. The, 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 it's, you know, the, 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 the kind of competencies needed to be able to do telehealth are very different than doing something like right. this in the clinic. And so um, while we're doing this, we're pointing out all of the little lessons learned. It's, hey, you know, the, the child is off the screen. I want you to tell the parents to pause the, the video and go grab them and bring them back, you know, or, or um, 
you know, there's, I see some, some items there that the child may mouth. Um, I need to tell the parent about that, or, or I'm going to coach the parent on how to safely or neutrally block this behavior before we get into a session. And these are things that the trainee or the, you know, the, whether it's a graduate student or, or, um, um, or, or some of our uh, trainees of other programs are coming in to observe us. We're, we're teaching them as we go along, but it's a, it's a slow fade um, so that we don't have, like, just like you said, somebody isn't just jumping right in front of that camera and, and starting. Yeah, I also think, you know, to our benefit, when I think about, I was thinking about this question the other day, and, you know, at least the way Matt and I had been trained while we were in graduate school, you know, it was in person, but the way we run clinics is exactly how we run things by telehealth. So it's not that we would run our assessment and treatment procedures with the kid. Um, We almost always are coaching the families to do it. So we've had a lot of in-person practice of coaching, you know, saying, hey, mom, I need you to do this. Now we also have the advantage of being able to model if they weren't good at doing that procedure in that way. But often we were relying on okay, mom, I want you to go in and I want you to ask your kid to put this block in the bucket. And, you know, if he hits you, then I want you to just back off and give him a break. Um, You know, and sometimes we might be in the room providing that ongoing coaching. Um, Okay, mom, that's great. He hit his head. Okay, back off. You know, we would be doing things like that all the time. And so I think we had a lot of practice doing that in person. So then when we transitioned to telehealth, we, I would say, had a lot of those skills, you know, going into that. But like Matt said, um, anyone knew that we would put in for telehealth. Um, we provided them with more of that coaching and feeding model of letting them watch how we do it, let them listen to what we're saying, you know, and feed them gradually um, into that. And I, I do think our in-person experiences may be different. I don't know exactly, but maybe different from some other providers who are used to themselves being the only people who implement the procedures and never really having that skill mm-hmm. of coaching somebody else to do it. Um, so I think that's an advantage that our program had given us um, that maybe other programs or people looking into going into telehealth might think about um, you know, is mm-hmm. getting some of that in-person coaching of others, getting that skill down first there, and then switching um, over into some telehealth models. Right. That, I mean, the way you're describing it, it it's funny. The way you're describing it, it sounds so obvious, right? Like, yeah, that's what we should do. <laughs> that's what we should all do. Um, um, I want to go back to something you guys mentioned earlier. You were talking about, um, you know, finding the right patient, finding the right client, finding the right um, family to support. Uh, you know, uh, our, the the clients on the autism spectrum have a wide range of, of challenges from, you know, self-injurious behavior to challenges with social skills to language and, and functional communication challenges. Um, you know, how, how, how can we handle, this is a really broad question, how can we handle that, that wide range of need via telehealth? And, is, and should we be focusing on, you know, different skills, or is, this, is telehealth for everybody potentially? Well, you know, going back, going back to what I had mentioned earlier, you know, you really have, the, you have three persons to think about in this. You have the patient or the client. Are they appropriate in terms of the behaviors they exhibit? So I think about 
um, you know, individuals who is with severe, severe self-injury where I may not be able to intervene. And I really don't know if I want to evoke that type of behavior through telehealth. So you've got the patient mm-hmm. or the, the, the client and, and, and kind of the behaviors they, they may emit. You've got the parent. Does the parent, um, are they able to follow directives? Um, are they, are they able to, um, to, to conduct some of the things that may be a little more complex to conduct and conduct and do it through just this verbal directives rather than the modeling. Um, also know that some, for some parents being in that home environment is a very stressful place to do this. Sometimes like Kelly said, when they get out of the home, it's actually a little less stressful when they're in the home, you've got other kids and you've got other things going on. And then you've got the therapist. And, and if any of those three pieces are not right for this equation, I think you don't do it. Um, but, but there's also the, the, the combination of the child and parent that we sometimes think about. Um, is the child, do the behaviors that they exhibit, are they a safety concern for the parent? I mean, we've had kids who are much bigger than the parents themselves. And, and, and we certainly don't want to put a parent in a position where they have to make a judgment call of whether they feel comfortable or not to get hit or get hurt by their child. Now, having said that, you know, Kelly and I have been working in the area of severe and challenging behavior for a long time, and that's, that's our bread and butter. I, I think, you know, looking at, you know, early skill acquisition models and things like that, that, that may bring a whole host of other questions, you know, that, that come about. And, and there are some good studies out there showing that this can be, a, you know, a, a, an effective modality for those types of model or those types of programs as well. Um, but, but, you know, our biggest challenge always is thinking about whether this is an appropriate uh, venue, an appropriate modality to do this. Because in clinic, we don't have too many concerns. We have the manpower if needed to keep people safe. But, but just, you know, knowing that uh, there is a, a level of liability um, when you're working within somebody's home and you're not there to be there or to, to, to intervene is, is huge. Yeah, and I also think um, you have to think about, you know, what's the goal of what you're doing and how do you go about accomplishing that, right? So if, you know, we're talking about a skill acquisition program, you know, that's been going on forever in a clinic, you know, our home, now we're transitioning to telehealth and now do you, you know, so do you need the parent to help out? So are they going to know or understand how to implement like a verbal behavior type program? Or is it better to switch than the goals at that point? to something more um, relevant to the home environment, you know, um, whatever that might be, you know, put that uh, piece of clothing in your dresser drawer or, you know, like, I don't know, maybe we're working on brushing your teeth or something. But, um, you know, I think it's figuring out what's the best fit for those goals and do those goals need to shift um, if you're moving from a more traditional in-person type of service um, to a telehealth and maybe now you've got the parent or, you know, I think about social skills. I mean, I think there's probably social skills programs that could work really well by telehealth, but then I think we have to think very carefully about the child. Can the child attend to the computer um, to participate in that social interaction? Um, and can they pay attention to, you know, how many other people should be participating? Is that just between the therapist and the child or can you have two or three other kiddos you know connecting in and you have that conversation um, or work on that skill of even just saying hello you know to somebody else and where are they looking on the computer Um, and so I think there's just a lot of factors I think we have to consider um, as to who's going to be best and I think we also have to take into consideration people's preference I think we have families that are just not comfortable using 
technology. I've had a couple in actually the last week. We offered telehealth visits too, and they were let, and when I asked them why they didn't want telehealth, they're like, I'm just not good at technology, and so I would just rather <laughs> see you in person. <laughs> okay, that's totally valid, right? Or they'll say, I just think we'll have a better connection. You'll have a better connection with my child when it's in person than versus, you know, on the computer. Now, I think some of those reasons might be because they don't understand exactly what we're going to do by telehealth. So for behavior, I don't actually need the child to pay attention to me on the computer. I actually prefer if they don't because I need to coach mom into what I need her to do in their living room. So I need you to sit and play or I need you to need you to do these other things. I don't want the kid attending to me. Um, so I think sometimes there might be some misunderstanding about what we're doing, but in other cases they may very well be correct. You know, that, yeah, the connection between me and their child may very well be um, better in person, especially if you have a kid who won't go on camera at all. You know, if they see a camera at all, they go running that's not going to be a good kid for telehealth either because you're not going to keep him in the room because he's going to be aware that there's a camera on him and he's going to go take off, right? So that's not going to be helpful either. Um, So I think there's just a lot of variables we have to keep in mind um, and we're going to have to assess them on an individual basis as to what's going to work well and what isn't. And then we're going to need to let our research tell us, you know, where those limits start to really come into play um, so that we can make better decisions as a whole, you know, maybe as a field, but it's still always going to come down to that individual child and family um, and all of the variables that impact that. Right. So if you're a family that's listening and you're just getting started with a telehealth program, make sure you are communicating with your clinicians about the challenges you may be seeing, the things that may be holding you back, the things that may be great successes, Make sure you're commu- communicating all of that, and the clinicians, make sure you're listening to your families and, and checking in with them to see if, is this a family that struggles to be on Zoom or whatever technology they're using, or is this a family that's really comfortable? Is this a client that has a hard time seeing themselves and, and they get distracted by seeing themselves in the corner of the screen? That may be a barrier as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And then I think the provider should be very clear about what they're expecting. You know, is right. the provider expecting that the child attend? to the provider on the computer, or is it more like how Matt and I do um, our assessments and treatments for challenging behavior? Our expectation is that the child doesn't pay attention to us at all, and what we just want you to be able to do is listen so that you can follow our directions while you interact with your child, right? Or this is just going to be an interview, so I need to say hi to your kiddo, um, but then they can go off and play because I'm just going to have a one-hour interview with you to get to gather the information I need to get started on what our next visit might look like, you know. So I think providers need to be very clear um, at the beginning, too, of what this is going to look like because I don't think we can assume that parents are going to know because I think this is going to be new for just about everybody. Right. You know, we've talked about telehealth from a – from a services standpoint, but I understand you guys are also using it from a research perspective. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about how you're using telehealth as a tool to gather information for research purposes? So our original studies were more, you know, around, can we even do this by telehealth? Right. And so is this even an option we can consider into the future? And those studies turned out great, right? We've already talked about those. We've, 
shown the same percent reduction in problem behavior. We've shown the cost effectiveness. We've shown the acceptability from families. So that's all been great. So now we're at a point where, I mean, we're still at a point where we have to look at telehealth and figure out, you know, what are those limits? And we've been talking about those, and we need more research around that. Um, but we do know we can use it, um, at least in some situations. And so now it's not so much can we do it, but it's now let's use telehealth so we can answer other research questions that need to be answered, but now telehealth gives us an option to access more people. So rather than staying within a 100-mile radius of the hospital, um, you know, so that families can travel in on a weekly basis, we now can just use it so we can reach more people to answer just lots of other questions, whatever research questions we have, um, you know, about our field. Um, and so, you know, that's a lot of some of what we've been doing more, um, you know, lately is some of our, we've had some, we've recently published more translational type research where we're looking at more basic behavioral mechanisms and everything was done by telehealth, um, which is kind of unreal that wow. it works out that way. But, Incredible. you know, like we can answer yeah. those basic questions, you know. So what we did was we showed we modified our typical functional communication training treatment where we trained the communication response outside of the treatment context and then generalize that in, and we showed we got less um, recurrence of behavior when we took the treatment away. Um, and so it was great because we've been able, and all through telehealth, but telehealth really wasn't the driving variable for that study. The driving variable was how do we modify our treatments so that when somebody doesn't implement it the way it's supposed to be implemented, we don't get that return of behavior within five minutes that we know is going to happen. Um, and so and that's exactly what that study showed, which was super exciting, and we did it all by telehealth. So <laughs> That's great. Matt, you were going to add something to that. Well, no, I was just going to uh, really, I think Kelly kind of recapped uh, really what we've seen at the, at the University of Iowa. You know, we're, we're, I'm lucky to be a part of, of some of the more recent research on telehealth, but Dave Wacker had the foresight like I said, almost 25 years ago, to think about reaching kids in, in a large rural state in, in other ways. And he did that through um, what was called the uh, Iowa um, uh, Communications Network, which was a, a fiber optic network that the, that the state had developed to be able to connect schools and hospitals and, and, and agencies like that. And, and so those early feasibility studies were really wow. exciting because, once again, they're reaching kids who probably would not have been reached um, given the, the travel and and transportation challenges. And then as Kelly said, you know, the, the next step in that were those comparative studies. And if, and if, if we're doing the same types of work via telehealth as we can do in vivo and we're getting the same success and guess what, it's a lot cheaper and the families like it just as much, you know, why aren't we doing this? And then like Kelly said, you know, we're now on these, the, the telehealth as a modality. Um, phase. And, right. and so, you know, telehealth is now what we, we, we sometimes laugh about this because people want to focus on the telehealth, but telehealth is no longer the independent variable in our studies. You know, now, you know, as Kelly said, we've, we've recently published a, a large randomized controlled trial on functional communication training where we're currently doing a large randomized controlled trial of functional analysis procedures, things that would have been pretty difficult to do with the numbers that we're looking at if we would have done this in vivo. We just don't always have the access 
to the families and the instantaneous access. Because remember, it's not just about a family coming in and spending an hour in the clinic. It's, an, it's a family spending three hours driving one way, an hour in the clinic, three hours driving the other way. And guess what? They're doing it for research purposes, and they may not exactly find that the, the most beneficial uh, use of their time. So, so we're, we're able to do these same things that um, we would love, you know, that we would do in vivo. If people were there, you know, in, in our immediate uh, um, radius, but, but they're not. And so, uh, so we've reached a lot. And, and, you know, we've, we're, Kelly and I are part of a big uh, study where we're partnering with um, uh, Dorothy Lerman and, and Lucia Sami down at the University of Houston, Clear Lake, and, and Nate Call at Marcus Autism Center. And, you know, Georgia and Texas aren't little states either. I mean, they're big states. And, and how right. do you reach the, the kind of uh, numbers we need for these large studies? Well, you, you use telehealth to do it. It really, it really sounds like we're kind of in this perfect timing of there's research to support, there's a need, and there's an opportunity with technology reaching what it is. I mean, telehealth's going to be here for a while, right? This isn't going away when all this is done. This is going to be a, a, a vehicle for services and research for the foreseeable future. It has to be, right? I mean, I think, I mean, I, I think we all hope that. And I honestly think there's no way we can completely go back to the way we were before. Um, but I also think there's, there's going to be, there's probably going to need to be a lot of advocacy efforts. Not every state is the same. Um, and how they, what they allow for, for fee for services and reimbursement for telehealth. Um, I know we're, we've recently been running into some issues with, you know, telehealth services are not reimbursed at the same rate as in-person services. And so, you know, how do organizations and clinics and agencies like, you know, how do they maintain their business if they're not going to be reimbursed at the same rate? And so. I think right. we're going to have to look at, you know, what does this mean moving forward? I think a lot of people, providers included, are going to say we can't, we can't go back to all in person. There's got to be some balance between like some hybrid type model between in-person visits and telehealth visits um, and what those telehealth visits look like. So in Iowa, when the pandemic lifts, we've been told that the, um, you know, being able to provide telehealth into the home is going to go away because our current rules and regulations don't allow for home telehealth. They allow for clinic telehealth. Um, and so that's one good step, but, you know, how do we push for home telehealth if that is going to what, if that's going to be the thing that helps keep people um, safe and healthy and comfortable, you know, and continues to limit some of the, continues to provide that social distancing to some extent, right, and um, limit some of the people we have in these public um, entities. And so I think, yeah, I mean, I want to say, yes, we're not going to go back, but I think there's, um, we have to go into that with a lot of caution and, right. and focus on how do we advocate for what is our new normal going to look like and what our families wanting, what our providers wanting, and how do we get our legislators and everybody else on board to say, yes, this is the new normal, right? It's just like after 9-11 when all airports changed, right? So right. now everybody right. demands those security checks. Well, so now what is, 
what's the demand going to look like for healthcare? Um, and I think that's where we're going to have to go um, as we move forward. Yeah, and Kelly, I would, I, I would, I totally agree with you, and I would just, you know, un, I don't want to 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 make the insurance companies uh, as the bad guy here, but but let's remember no. there were there's decades where families and parents of of individuals with autism, they were the advocates that got the insurance providers to finally agree that yes, we need to cover ABA services. I mean, it, it was it was in the the, mm-hmm. the, fam, the hands of the families and the parents, and so as providers. It's hard. We, we do. We try to push and advocate for this, but I think we have to, unfortunately, really depend upon, and I say unfortunately because it's, it's an, extra, you know, um, an extra burden on the families, but, but we really have to depend upon them to be the voice to say, you know, we like this and, and we want this because they're the ones who the, 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 le- the legislator uh, is going to listen to. It, it's not as much the provider. It's the parent. It's the family. And, and guess what? We've had wonderful response from parents and, and families, and that's one reason why, as Kelly said, we're collecting data as quickly as we can on the current situation to, to really get to kind of put our thumb to the, the pulse of the parents and, and the caregivers and what they, what they like and what they don't like. And if, and if we were to find out, I think for Kelly and I, the, the funny thing is, you know, it doesn't change our time investment if a parent, family comes into our clinic or if a family, you know, visits us, us on telehealth. You know, we're still seeing them for the same amount of time. It's really, it's, it's the advantage or the benefit in many ways is on the family or the parents. Their investment in driving hours each way, it's, it's something that I think many of them could go without. And so that's, that's where I'm hoping is that the families and the parents can really step up and say, we, you know, this is something we want, this is something we need, and, and, and we really demand it. Right. And, if, and, you know, I'm envisioning parents and clinicians coming together, you know, with your call to action from both of you as, to, as a way for us to say we want to continue to offer training and support and push the field forward in terms of research and make sure that we are providing the, the highest quality of evidence-based practices that we can. A way for us to do that is to not take for granted that telehealth is going to be around and continue to advocate for it and really to continue to push for what we now know as a viable service delivery option and a viable research option as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's one extra, you know, piece to this. One, one thing we think about with the therapists or clinicians is, um, you know, a lot of states have, have adopted parity laws, which essentially is, you know, um, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's, it's the parity in terms of pay. So if I provide telehealth services and I do it in the same manner and way I do in vivo services, I should be able to get reimbursed the same way. But there's another kind of parity expectation, and that is, if you can provide the same services via telehealth that you can do in vivo, then it's a, it's a viable service. And I think therapists or clinicians are going to have to make those judgment calls and be good at it. Because if a therapist or clinician decides, I'm going to see this patient uh, or this client via telehealth and doesn't do well or can't do well with that, it's going to really hurt uh, the, the future of telehealth. It's going to make it uh, a less what, a, appealing um, option for many families, but if we were really judicious and determined, like Kelly said, some can, should come in and some we should see via telehealth, and we do a good job of being judicious with that, I think the results will speak for themselves, and I think families are going to appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you both. Uh, this is such a wealth of information from each of you today. Where uh, I know you mentioned you have some research coming out pretty soon. Um, where can we find you, and where can we learn more about the research that you guys have ongoing? So Matt and I are both uh, faculty members at the University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital. And so certainly, um, I guess, 
I like to offer Matt up, but I will maybe not completely <laughs> offer him up, but I will offer myself up. I mean, certainly anybody can reach out to me um, with any questions, you know, or things like that. Um, part of we are having um, our school psychology, our graduate level school psychology program is reopening this fall, which is really exciting to us. Um, and so, you know, if people are interested in furthering their training, you know, or anything like that. Um, they can reach out. We also have a BCBA program that's starting um, soon as well through the special education program at Iowa. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think for research it's going to be, you know, I would reach out to us and see, you know, what we're doing. Um, keep an eye out in the behavior analytic journals. You know, there's always things coming out. Um, the RCT on FCT that's um, just came out is in the Journal of Autism and Developmental Disorders. Um, so might check that one out there. Otherwise, we tend to have things coming out in lots of different journals. So just, you know, look for Iowa. Look for <laughs> any of our names. Telehealth, <laughs> our names are usually on all of them. So, um, yeah. yeah, Matt, do you have anything else to add to that? No, I would just, I would just add um, that, you know, Kelly and I have had, uh, I wouldn't say, well, we would in some ways been inundated with requests both for, for talks and for consultation. And, and um, you know, I think we're very open to helping the, the field expand the access to telehealth or the use of telehealth. And so if, if people do want some consultation, if they would like to know a little bit about what the lessons we've, we've learned, you know, certainly reach out to us, Dorothy Lerman, uh, Kelly and I were, well, Dorothy was the lead author on a paper recently in, in uh, Job that um, talks about some of the barriers or hurdles in telehealth and some of the strategies that we've developed. So, so we're, not only are we, you know, still using telehealth as a research tool, um, and, and, and like I said, it's no longer that in, independent variable, we're, we're fine-tuning both our clinical practices and our research practices with telehealth. We're learning more and more and more. It's, it's always a, 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 you know, a learning opportunity. And, and if people want to know a little bit about the barriers and hurdles and how to get over those, you know, certainly read that, that article by Dorothy, but also we, you know, Kelly and I'd be happy to, to, ha uh, to we'll be happy to help out as, as needed. Great. Well, thank you both so much uh, for being here today and sharing all of your information, not all, some, some of your wealth of information <laughs> with us. Um, it was really helpful and gave us definitely a clearer insight into this world of telehealth that so many of us, so many of us are diving into for the first time. Uh, it's nice to know that there are some people who have already kind of uh, paved the way for us and that we don't have to create everything. It's nice to know that your research is out there and available. So thank you both. Appreciate it. Well, it's yes, been a pleasure. Thank you. Richie. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Matt and Kelly and learned a lot from it. Uh, one thing that really stood out to me is this need for telehealth etiquette, right? We need to make sure that both as, as families and as clinicians, we're respecting the entire environment, what's going on around us, and making sure that we communicate that to each other. And also this need for us to have human contact. This also stood out for me is that right now families may be a little bit uh, Zoom fatigued or telehealth fatigued, whatever, whatever term they may be experiencing. But at some point, I really think that this is going to be a viable service delivery model and a service delivery option. And hopefully uh, families can reach out to their clinicians and get the, get the support that they need this way when the timing is right for them. If now is not the right time, that's okay. Um, find your clinician when the time is right. Thanks again for tuning in. You can always find us on Facebook and Instagram at Autism Therapies. And if you have a show suggestion or feedback, send us an email at allautismtalk at learnbehavioral.com. 
And as always, subscribe and rate us at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. This podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, the leading network of providers serving children with autism and other special needs. Visit us at learnbehavioral.com. Listen to previous episodes at allautismtalk.com on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time.